Welcome back to another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name is Jason Rice, and I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey, but unfortunately he was not able to be part of this interview. So you'll have to wait a couple weeks before you hear from him again. We started this podcast because we love the Christian Reformed Church, and we want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we also recognize that anytime Reformation happens, it is messy. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the CRC to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also talk to them about what Reformation might look like. If you're not a member of the CRC, that's fine. Stick around anyways. Listen to the conversations going on here because the conversations we have here apply way beyond the Christian Reformed Church. If you like what you're hearing and you want to help us get the word out about this podcast and these interviews we're having with pastors, there's a couple of ways you can help us out. You can click subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. We're hoping to drop episodes every Monday. You can also leave a positive review on iTunes, but also you can think of four or five people that you think would benefit from hearing this podcast and share it with them. We'd love to get the word out so that we can start having more of these conversations throughout the CRC. Anyway, with all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode where we're interviewing Peter Rockhold. Peter, how's it going? Hey, (laughs) it's going pretty good. (laughs) Good. It's good to be here. Yeah, awesome. Well, take a moment just at the beginning to kind of let us know a little bit about yourself and where you're at and what church you're at. and. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, a CRC pastor in Red Deer, Alberta, at New Life Fellowship Christian Reformed Church. And uh, um, I'm from Michigan originally. I'm a U.S. citizen. Uh, and I grew up outside of Grand Rapids, but I did not grow up in the CRC. I joined the CRC much uh, later on in life. And yeah, that's yeah. about it. Up in Red Deer, Alberta, can you see the line where, like, people stop going further north? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, after living, I've been here for, like, about five years now. It's just, like, it doesn't really feel that much different. But when I first moved here, everything just felt so desolate and so far apart and just so big. And it's just, like, man, people live here? (laughs) Yeah, well, you guys really north right i mean red deer is alberta's way up there well it's um it's an hour and a half north of calgary uh, we're okay. still south of edmonton okay um, but uh like we're not too far away from the mountains and the mountains here are just beautiful like yeah it's just a wonderful place to be yeah that's an awesome area yeah i've been up there and love the love the mountains love the area up there I could maybe, I know you guys tried to talk me into moving up there and taking a church and I, uh, I'm still, I'm still, I like the U S still. <laughs> yeah, though there's, there's some vacant churches in, in my classes. So uh, like, uh... <laughs> yeah, well, why don't you, you mentioned that you did not grow up in the CRC and I'd love to hear what brought you into the CRC. Yeah. So like I grew up, um, 
and a bunch of different denominations. So I grew up a United Brethren uh, for a while. Um, and then my church, then my family went to a Nazarene church for a little bit. And then we went to a non-denominational Bible church and, um, and a Wesleyan church for a bit too. So like, uh, uh, so I grew up in all those sort of different denominations. And I went to, when I was in high school, I wanted to learn more about Bible and theology. And so after high school, I went to a college in Missouri that was a part of the uh, Church of Christ movement. Uh, they were yeah. part of, uh, yeah, so that's like a Christian churches and churches of Christ. It's a part of a, a, a restoration movement that happened, I believe, in the 1800s. I could be wrong with that. Um, okay. But, but yeah, so I was a part of, uh, so I went to uh, a school in that denomination and I was dealing with all sorts of uh, theological questions I was trying to work through, like questions of free will and questions of baptism and questions of uh, uh, how we understand the Bible and just a lot of stuff that I was trying to figure out. And uh, during one of my uh, research uh papers. It was a research paper on the atonement. I was in the library at the school and I picked up uh, Louis Burkhoff's uh, Vicarious Atonement Through Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, the the Church of Christ are very anti-Calvinist uh, churches. Mm. <laughs> they, they think uh, Reformed theology is horrendous theology. Um, and uh, so it's I find it ironic that my first introduction to Reformed theology was at a school that hated re- Reformed theology. <laughs> and uh, so I read through, like, so I just picked up, yeah, Vicarious Atonement Through Crisis, uh, um, um, yeah, to see this perspective on the atonement. And I read 80 pages of the book in one sitting. I was just mm. so, uh, just amazed by how this person was doing theology and applying scripture. I never heard of Louis Burkhoff before that. And for those of you who don't know Louis Burkhoff, he was um, uh, president of Calvin Seminary uh, for a bit in the 30s, I believe, yep. Um, yep. and uh, uh, wrote a, a bunch of systematic theology books. And uh, just a wonderful theologian, still like probably one of my favorite Reformed theologians to read still. Um, so that that was my uh, introduction to Reformed theology, and it was uh, um, after that I transferred schools to Kuiper College in Grand Rapids and uh, got my uh, bachelor's in, in uh, uh, Bible theology and pre-seminary studies and uh, went to Calvin Seminary after that. Uh, when, I, when I saw that Louis Burkhoff used to be a, a professor at Calvin Seminary, I kind of had in my mind, I'm like, well, that's the school I'm going to go to now. So it's, uh, I, yeah, so he's really shaped my uh, theological life. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, was there, when you, uh, I always like to ask people this question who kind of grew up outside of the Reformed faith, came to become Reformed, and then joined a Reformed church. Was there any surprises for you when you got into the Reformed church? Oh, plenty. (laughs) (laughs) So, so a couple, a couple of interesting things with that is like, when I, when on the trajectory to uh, go to Calvin Seminary, 
I wasn't set if I'd be a part of the CRC. Um, I knew I was going to be a part of some sort of reform denomination. So I was uh, doing a lot of research on different reform denominations. So I went to an Orthodox Presbyterian church for a while. I went to a PCA church for a bit. Um, went to URC a couple of times. Uh, um, I don't think I actually went to any RCA churches, uh, but then I went to a couple of CRCs. And the funny thing is when I was doing my research on these different denominations, when I researched the CRC, um, all my research was actually from Louis Burkhoff. So the perception I had of the CRC was one from the 1930s and not <laughs> the, the current version of, of the CRC that we're seeing. So, um, so when I decided to join the CRC, my perception of it was a little bit off. Uh, I have no regrets about joining the CRC, but I kind of had to... Um, learn its present uh, situation because I was behind uh, uh, by 70 plus years. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, well, you're not the only one um, to have that experience. I, that's why I kind of ask it because I've had a lot of friends who grew up in uh, charismatic movements or something else and then came to be reformed and and came into the CRC all excited to be part of a reformed church and then came in and went, wait a second, this is not what I was expecting. You know, um, I think, I think in many ways too, like a lot of the CRC churches I've been a part of now remind me of the non-denominational Bible church I grew up in. I, I wonder if we've had too much influence from North American evangelicalism that we've lost uh, some of our, uh, reformed uh, flavorness. Uh, yeah, like it's uh, like when I when I do cooking, I like to add different spices that just change the entire taste of the meal. And uh, I think reformed theology does that. Uh, but yeah. uh, we've kind of taken out the the salt and the pepper. I think out of a lot of our theological distinctives. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly um, the one guy that I I talked about in a previous interview with someone he uh he grew up in this charismatic church or he didn't grow up in it but he came to faith in a charismatic church and uh started studying scripture became reformed found lewis burkoff loved burkoff was studying him and then uh he was actually teaching burkoff in the charismatic church and the heidelberg catechism in the in the charismatic church and then uh and then the church kind of blew up and so he was looking for another church and he found a crc church in town and he was all excited i'm going to the church of lewis burkhoff this is awesome <laughs> and then uh, he got there and he's like nobody had ever heard of him <laughs> <laughs> and he was kind of blown away by that well and that's been my experience too i feel like we have forgotten some of our uh, theological traditions. And now I'm not saying that we need to go back to be the CRC from the 1930s uh, um, because the things that they were dealing with then are different than the things that we're dealing with yeah. now. Uh, but we we should really understand where we uh, come from and learn how to apply those uh, theological principles to our current situations. And uh, um, yeah, I've I've been saddened by the lack of uh, understanding of our uh, heritage. Yeah. What do you think brought us there? Um, what do you think kind of brought us to this point of, because um, I'm noticing this in a, a number of churches, uh, a desire to downplay our reformed 
reformedness, a reformed uh, identity, and just try to be kind of more broadly evangelical. What What do you think is behind that? I, I think there's a lot of influences uh, with that, even uh, influences from people I greatly respect, like uh, like I think this concept of like a mere Christianity uh, that like uh, Lewis pushed has been uh, a part of that. Though I should rephrase that. I don't think um, uh, C.S. Lewis meant that we should get rid of our distinctives when he talked about mere Christianity, but I think people have taken that uh, concept and have brought it that way that um, that our theological distinctives are what's causing disunity within the churches and uh, these distinctives uh, are not helpful. So we should just get to the the core uh, beliefs and uh, shed off that extra baggage, basically. Uh, I have a lot of concerns about, about that approach because I think it's our distinctives that help us to understand uh, the Bible and theology and the world around us and help us to interpret those things. And um, um, without those theological distinctives, we don't have that framework. But I, th- I think people saw harm in theological distinctives, and that's uh, within evangelicalism. And the reform, the CRC, has always had some sort of relationship with uh, uh, North American evangelical churches. And so I think, I think. All of those factors have just influenced um, uh, where we are now. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think it the danger is this kind of lowest common denominator thing, right? It's let's just kind of dumb everything down to the point where we all agree. And uh, one of the one of the analogies that I think can be applied, maybe you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but what I, when I've talked to people about why it's actually good for us to have different denominations with different uh, flavors is the the imagery of the body that Mm -hmm. that Paul talks about and says, if everyone was a foot, if every, you know, we don't want all feet, all hands. Um, And there's actually benefit to have different denominations who have a little bit of a different emphasis. And, um, and if we try to make everybody a foot, because then we, then it looks like unity. That's not actually biblical unity. Mm-hmm. He has this unity in the midst of diversity. And so we can have denominations that like, like the Methodist church, right. Who would have a very different theology from us, or like the, like you said, the church of Christ who really struggles with reformed theology. And yet we can have unity there, but, but see things a little bit differently. And that actually we kind of pull each other in helpful directions. Yeah, I think that's right. Like it reminds me of one of my uh, missions professors in uh, Bible college. Um, he he would often say, uh, uh, basically that like, oh, the Pentecostals are really passionate. The Baptists are really good at evangelism. The Reformed are very thoughtful, and you really need all of those gifts working uh, together. And, and I think that's right. And I also think too, that um, compared to like um, the non-denominational churches I grew up with, that um, people or churches within denominations have more respect for other denominations. So even though I'm a reformed guy through and through, I study uh, Lutheran theology a ton 
especially uh, post-Reformation uh, Lutheran theology, um, is my one of my favorite things to study. So I, I think being a part of a denomination also increases your respect for other denominations. Um, while independent non-denominational churches uh, tend not to value denominations in the first place, and I think it's even more of a struggle to uh, respect teachings from other denominations. Uh, but that's a generalization. I don't yeah. think that's always across the board. But Yeah. 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 The benefit of being part of a denomination is just that grounding and foundation that you have. Like here is where I'm at. And it maybe even gives you a little bit of freedom to branch out and, and understand what's going on in the world because you kind of know where you're standing. Mm-hmm. That's that's helpful. Yeah. So I, I agree. I would love to see... Uh, one of the things I found really interesting is, uh, as, as you know, and listeners know, I, I was in youth ministry for 11 years um, before becoming a lead pastor. And one of the things I noticed changing, and it's changing slow enough that not everyone sees it, but, but there's a, a generation of teenagers and young adults that are just passionate about Reformed theology. <laughs> they love it. They love reformed theology and they're just grabbing hold of it. And at the same time, the CRC is trying to downplay our reformed identity. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> this is, you <laughs> well, know. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the reason, part of the reason why younger people um, are really enjoying reformed theology is because we're in an age where everything is just disposable like uh like our phones we have to get a new phone every couple years like nothing is like long term and i think in many ways we're reaching for something that's much more ancient something that has lasted more than a couple years more than a couple decades uh we're uh trying to reach for something that's deep and i i think many people are attracted to reform theology because it's something that is a very deep um, that goes back uh, uh, 500-ish years, but even further, because a lot of our influences come from people like Augustine. Like, yeah. There's a lot of um, ancient roots to Reformed theology that I think young people are really, really attracted to. Um, but older generations, I think, don't... Um, uh, I should be careful. Don't want to make a sweeping generalization, but, <laughs> but I think older generations don't see the need as much to reach for those ancient roots. Mm, yeah. And probably because of just the culture that they were in, they didn't feel that need, right? That because mm-hmm. their culture was more grounded in general. And so, and there's, there's kind of a, I agree. I, I always want to be careful when I make a criticism of the generations before me because I we've our generation has plenty of things to criticize be criticized of as well yeah. too. Um, but um, I think you know there's always this kind of progression throughout Scripture where a generation grew up and knew not what was going. You know, you kind of one generation really embraces something, the next generation kind of takes that thing for granted, and then it's lost in the next generation, and then. Yeah. Uh, and then you have all of a sudden at some point, right, King Josiah in the Old Testament going, hey, here's a book. What does this thing have to say, right? And they find, you know, they find the law <laughs> dusted off. Somebody should interpret this for us, right? And then Reformation happens again. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what we saw when the CRC was founded. They all, they got it. They knew the importance of our 
reformed heritage. They loved it. And then another generation grew up and just like, yeah, of course, this is how we do things. And, uh, and then the next generation came and was like, well, that was dumb. And they just kind of it, lost it. And yeah. yeah. And now we've got another generation going, whoa, this is good stuff. We should, we should hold on to this. We shouldn't have gotten rid of this. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do think that we need to do a better job of um, making reformed works easier to understand too. Like I, I'm somebody who's a big, big fan of Calvin's Institutes and uh, the translations of his Institutes. Uh, some better ones have come out in the past 10 years, but the um, previous translations were much older and his Institutes can be very hard to read for some people. Uh, just because the translation is a little archaic yeah. and older generations um, read Calvin's Institutes a whole lot more because the translation was much easier to understand. Um, now there've been a couple good translations of Calvin's uh, uh, 1541 French edition um, that I really appreciate that are much easier to understand. Uh, but it's, it's those sort of things. Um, or even Louis Burkhoff is hard to understand for some people. And I feel like we just need a updated version of, of his stuff with just the language. Um, yeah. 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 I remember um, this was, this will tell you a little bit about my personality. Um, when I started in youth ministry, I was not a reader, which everybody who knows me now thinks that's hilarious because now <laughs> I'm just obsessed with reading, but I didn't read books. And uh, I don't, have you ever heard of Greg Steer? No, he's, he's kind of big in the youth ministry world. He's uh, pushes people to do evangelism and, and whatnot. And anyways, I was listening to him as a youth pastor and he just, re, I mean, it was a podcast, but he rebuked me in the podcast and said, you know, you youth pastors, you need to read a hard book, like read something <laughs> difficult, you know, challenge yourself. And I remember going, oh man, he's right. I need to challenge myself. So what did I do? I went out and got Calvin's Institutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you probably got the Breveridge edition too, which is not an easy one to read. <laughs> I did. And I had to sit down with uh, Calvin's Institutes in one hand and my my phone in the other so I could look up like, what does sucker mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know what these words mean. And so I'm sitting here having to look up like four words every paragraph because I don't know what they mean. And yet, as I've told people, I powered through that. And that's when I, all of a sudden, my heart was on fire. I was mm -hmm. reading Calvin and going, this guy loves what God's word is saying. And as I'm reading it, I'm now recognizing that I love what God's word has to say and uh, just powering through it. But most people aren't going to power through it. Even, even most of the people in my church, when I said, I want to read Calvin's Institutes, do any of you have a copy? They, they were like, don't read it. It's way too hard. You're just not going to get through it. They all tried to tell me not to read it. And it's, go ahead. <laughs> oh, it's one of the things that I often do is uh, um, in my sermons or in the uh, liturgies at my church, I will often quote Calvin, but I will do a paraphrase um, to make it as easy to understand as possible. But it's just like, like I kind of view it as um, mixing vegetables into the meal. Like people, people need this, uh, uh, need this healthy stuff there. And so 
So the people in my church uh, are hearing Calvin almost on a weekly basis, simply because, too, he was really good at interpreting scripture, and I often use his interpretation to to explain um, the scripture uh, to my church. And uh, so they're they're hearing him all the time. Uh, Yeah, yeah. my church hears them quite a bit, too. And I've told people, and sometimes people laugh at me, um, even some of the guys in seminary even almost looked down on me when I would say, still the best commentary set that I've ever gone through is Calvin's commentaries. Oh yeah. Right. Be right behind me. Yeah. Commentaries. Yeah. Well here, I've got mine right here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But because he wasn't, he gets portrayed as being this really stiff academic, but you read his commentaries and he's writing them for the church. He wasn't writing them for the Academy. He was writing them for the church and they're very, uh, pastor like here's how you want to shepherd your people with god's word Mm -hmm. he yeah he's very very down to down to earth i think and very pastoral and i always uh i always feel refreshed after i read his stuff and really his institutes and his commentaries need to go hand in hand uh because like uh his institutes even though rather large they do not cover all the details of what Calvin is talking about. Um, I think Calvin meant for us to like uh, uh, look further into the scripture and to also use his commentaries to understand his uh, thoughts even further. Uh, So the institutes are only meant to be uh, um, skimming the surface and uh, uh, they're, and they do a wonderful job and they're wonderfully, wonderfully holistic too, because I, one of my criticisms of, North American evangelicalism right now is we're very narrow in our application of theology. Um, and Calvin just applies it to everything. Like the reason that he wrote his institutes is to, uh, um, to help the French refugees, uh, the Protestant refugees from France and to make an argument to the, the King of France to not, um, uh, to not persecute these French Protestants. Like that was the very basis of him writing yeah. his institutes. And uh, so there is a wonderful uh, urgency and care within it. And I, oh, I just love it. I can go on and on. Yeah, but, I could too. And I, I always, I remember being amazed when I first found out that institutes, like the reason it's called the institutes is because it's basically the basics of the faith. Mm-hmm. I remember going, wow, this is the basics of the faith, but a lot of people don't want to read it because they think it's too deep. And it was like, that that's different. And and yet the reality was for Calvin too, I, this is what I always try to remind myself because I think sometimes we can, guys like you and I who appreciate Calvin so much, we can probably um, uh, think that things were way better back then than they were. And uh, really, the people back then had no idea what was going on in scripture either, right? And so he was writing this, trying to help educate them. And so um, it's really encouraging, too, because like we, I think we can get discouraged by the current situations that not only our churches are going through, but our culture is going through. And when we look at um, the history, of the the churches during the time of Calvin and the culture during that time, you really see like, oh, things were difficult then too. 
It's like, yeah. like we'll pull through this. Like things are not going to end. Uh, uh, we tend to get into this sort of um, uh, end time scenario thinking that everything is going to fall apart and things will only get worse. I'm like, like, no, God is sovereign. <laughs> like, like you need to worry like a Calvinist uh, and yeah. uh, trust in God's providence. And so even, even if our denomination is going through struggles right now, when we look at back at the times of, of Calvin as just an example, they were going through even more difficult struggles and we, we can trust in God's providence uh, Amen. for during this time. Yeah. I always think of, uh, you know, Calvin had people who would be in the pews and they would bark at him like dogs while he was preaching. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, when was the last time that happened? (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and he had a guy come and try to kill him with a sword because he wouldn't let him go to the Lord's supper. So I I haven't had to worry about that recently. I don't know. How about you? Maybe up in Canada. (laughs) We're we're too kind up in Canada. That's true. You are a lot nicer than we are down here. (laughs) Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about, um, well, even positive things from the CRC and some of the concerns, but what do you think some of the biggest strengths are of of the CRC? I think, hmm, I, I would I would say that one of the biggest strengths is actually its uh, uh, variety of opinion, hmm. though I also think it's a weakness as well. Um, but like when, when you compare the CRC to other reformed denominations, both conservative and liberal reformed denominations, people in those denominations tend to be all on the same page and they can get stuck into these ruts that it's really hard to get out of. Um, and the CRC, uh, it can always increase in its differences of, of, uh, different types of people and whatnot within the denomination, but we're we're uh, doing better than a lot of reformed denominations, I would say. And having those different perspectives and different approaches is incredibly helpful uh, with learning how to live out our reformed faith in our current situation. Well, that's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of this interview with Peter Rockhold. But until then, don't forget that this is Christ's church. He bought this church with his own blood. And don't forget that we've also been warned that wolves will come in and they'll try to destroy the flock. So we need to keep a close watch on our life and on our doctrine. We need to preach the word in season and out of season. And we need to keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Mm -hmm.